0: Hello, and welcome to Episode 9 of Staying Sharp, a quarantine podcast. Today's guest is Mike Morak, Tournament Director for the Danny Rumpf Classic. We talked to Mike about his journey in basketball, how he got into the world of brand partnerships, and we previewed the 15th year of the Danny Rumpf Classic. Before we get into today's conversation with Mike Morak, Ben and I wanted to come on here and just address... The tragic news we got yesterday uh, affecting our Temple football family and our Temple athletics family, um, we're recording this on June sixteenth, 2020. Um, we got the news on June fifteenth, yesterday afternoon that uh, Officer Jim Jones, Temple police officer, um, working closely with the football program and the athletics department as a whole, tragically passed away at the age of 49. It was a hard day for a lot of people in the community uh, a lot of people that even met jonesy once or had a long standing relationship with him everyone knew that he was the nicest kindest always smiling always laughing always caring about you no matter who you were how you how many times you met him he was he was that guy and in many's eyes he he wasn't really a police officer he was another dad he was another father figure he was just another smiling face and you know every day i lived in 1940 residence hall last year down at temple and i think he was close with our security guard in the lobby so in the morning when i'd be on my way out he'd just be chilling there and i'd get greeted with a dap and a hug every morning on my way out and smiling face always caring about you know how you're doing you know what you're up to uh and just the most selfless selfless guy in the world so jonesy jonesy will be certainly missed ben
1: yeah I think you know he's he's the type of person that you know, whether you've talked to him a hundred times or it's your first time talking to him, um, he feels like you've known him. Um,
2: you know, I didn't really know him
1: on a personal level. I don't have any you know great stories to tell. Um, but at the end of the day, what I can say is you know, I worked games for three years, you know that he was that he was you know working as well and all those times I wasn't always with Temple Athletics, but he would treat you. He didn't care who you were, he would treat you with the most respect. Um, and you know, he really just cared about everybody, he's just a father figure for everybody. And and uh, you know, we're really sad to see him go, but you know, we'll definitely be honored this year. I uh, can't wait to see what the football program has to do for him.
0: Yeah, um, just touching on that one more time, I mean just the the nicest guy, always smiling, always laughing. And, you know, he has a lasting effect on people. Uh, like, like Ben mentioned, no matter how many times they met him, we saw former staff members, former players, former administrators, everyone, you know, the outpouring of love and support for him and his family and the football community on Twitter um, and other social media platforms was huge yesterday. So, this episode is for you, Jonesy. We all love and miss you. So, without further ado, let's get into our conversation with Mike Morak. Mike Morak, welcome into the show. Thanks for doing this. Nah, problem at all. I appreciate you guys having me. So, Mike, uh, for the people who don't know, uh, you are the tournament director for the Danny Romf Classic. Uh, very involved with Philly basketball and the basketball world in general. So, I kind of wanted to start the conversation with having you take us through your basketball journey. When did you pick up a basketball? What are your earliest memories and kind of where did you go from there?
2: No, perfect. Perfect. So my earliest memories are my father took a tire and he tied it against a, um, a fence in my backyard. I grew up in a neighborhood in Philadelphia called Mount Airy and my father literally, you know, he grabbed a tire. He would later put a, like a regular hoop in the backyard, but you know, I used to, you know, just go around and I would shoot on everything, whether it was a, you know, a trash can, a hamper. I remember being at playgrounds on jungle gyms and I would literally, I just, I just fell in love with the game. So that my earliest memory is playing on trash cans and like tires and just random hoops around the neighborhood. And, you know, we had a, a really cool environment. In the neighborhood with probably about 10 different courts. So a bunch of my friends, we would just play all the time. So like that was like my first my first time like entering a game of basketball and like really finding the love for it. Uh
0: yeah, I mean I knew a little bit of that but that was really cool to hear. Um you know just shooting on anything really. <laughs> uh Ben's mom is killing the vibe currently uh per text message, but all good. A little late night podcasting comes with its
2: kinks um tell 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 Ben's mom I apologize it was more my fault for the late night pod than than anything else so that
1: that, that's quite all right she had no she had no idea what's happening it's it's completely all All
2: good if you want the full journey oh yeah keep going I I started playing at like a super young age um didn't really play organized until probably sixth or seventh grade and then you know just went over to a uh Philadelphia rec center called the Mallory playground and that's kind of where I you know, met some of my best friends to this day. And, you know, we would just go there every day. There was a couple other playgrounds in the neighborhood that we would all kind of just join. And like, that's where we worked out. And that's kind of like where I found my passion of, you know, just playing the game. So I went to an elementary school um, called CW, CW Henry in, uh, in Mount Airy. And a bunch of my friends over there played and we would play after school and we would find like neighborhood, you know, people's houses that had courts that we would just pick up games every day. And, Um, like that's, you know, how my journey started from an organized standpoint. And then as I got older, I went to a high school, I went to Bishop McDevitt high school where I got a chance to play in the Catholic league. Um, and then I got a chance to play in college at a misericordia university. Um, so all the while, just, you know, I just, just love to play the game. and, And I always found that to be a great social, you know, environment of finding people that have the same type of, you know, energy as myself and, you know, love to play, love to you know, just everything around the game of basketball. So I've I've found that like, that was just a great way for me to, you know, just build relationships and find like-minded people.
0: I mean, everyone has their own journey, but yours was uh, certainly unique uh, as is everyone's, but you know, every, every player, unless you're going to play pro ball, you, it comes a time where you run out of fuel and you know, you're not able to keep growing in competitive levels. And then everyone gets to that point where it's like, all right, I've dedicated X amount of my life to this game, whether it be basketball or whatever it is, what do I do next? Uh, And you were able to kind of turn uh, your experience and your love for the game into a career. When did you really realize I can, you know, I might not be playing anymore, but I can really make this something, you know, provide for
2: my family off of? I don't know if I ever realized that I could provide for my family off it, but I just like I just wanted to be around the game so bad that I was fortunate enough to, you know, work at a YMCA. Um, that somebody at the YMCA had a a friend that worked at a basketball company called And One, and they were doing internship programs, so they were able to help me get an internship program, which at the time was like my favorite basketball brand. I was a big fan of the And One mixtape tours. I was always more of a summer basketball, street ball, you know, fan than as opposed to, like, an NBA fan. Um, so, like, that was, like, my dream job was just to figure out, like, how do I get in this door, and then how do I really just never leave? So, being, you know, a basketball brand that was actually located, you know, in the outskirts of Philadelphia, um, and having the ability to, like, go in, like, that was, I was a big mixtape tour fan before I walked in there, and, you know, a bunch of my friends, like, we would just love that style of basketball you know, being able to be in a playground and showcase the, you know, the creative side of basketball, you know, like I always think there's a couple different sides of basketball. There's your, you know, your, your playground basketball players that, you know, are just really, really creative, you know, inside of those lines without having to be coached. And then there's like players that are really good when you're, you know, coached in a set offense. So, you know, I always found myself drifting more towards the creative side of basketball and trying new things that, you know, always bent the bent the traditional rules of the game. Um, so being able to say, like, man, like, I just wanted to figure it out. Like, I, re, I can remember my father telling me, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket, you know, because I wanted to play basketball professionally so bad. I just wanted to play. Um, and then, you know, you just quickly realize that, like, chances of me playing professionally and, you know, really making a living are slim. So you know, I never really like got so hyped i trying to be a player. I just wanted to be around the game. So when I was uh, in college, my last semester, senior year, I got a 12 credit internship with Ann One. And then as soon as I walked in that building, I was like, I know, I, I know this is, this is what I want to do. I just got to figure out like, how do I add value? How do I, you know, create my own space? Like how do I build relationships internally that, you know, people want to, you know, people want me to be around and I can like, you know, I can do the jobs that they're looking for. So like, I I definitely spent a lot of time on like the intern level, you know, just doing anything and everything that I could and, you know, not really worrying about making money, just trying to like find my own space.
1: I just have a follow-up question. Um, Just going back to like, you know, you getting involved um, in basketball and kind of liking that brand. Was there any specific player that had a style that you really liked growing up, maybe in the Philadelphia area?
2: Um, I mean, Aaron Owens, Aaron A.O. Owens was like my guy who's, uh, you know, funny enough, he's become one of my best friends to this day. So, you know, just being a fan of like how he could play inside of a real game, but still put like an entertaining show on, you know, was something that I always looked at, like that's really, really difficult to do when the lights are on and you've got to still put on a show, um, at a at a super high level. So like, there was just nobody that could ever stay in front of him. So I think he was always one of the guys that I was like, man, you know, it's amazing to watch him and that craftiness. And I think at the time, you know, it, it it's also, it was a pride thing of like, man, that's a Philly guy. So like anybody from Philly will tell you like whenever, you know, you're in other cities or, you, you know, you always get different, like a different sense of like, wow, like, yeah, that's a Philly guy. Like, that's my guy. Cause like, we all want to be like those people. We, are, we all have similar stories, very relatable. Um, so like Aaron was always a guy that I was like, man, like he's just, you know, he's a, he's amazing. And I can just relate to him because when you're talking about city versus city, it's like, that's our guy. So I thought that was always really exciting. And, you know, you had your other guys like poo Allen, which when I was a kid, it was always like the poo is a move that has become a little bit more nationally recognized as the sham God, um, which is kind of funny because sham God is a coach of the Dallas Mavericks and poo Allen is, is one of the coaches for the Boston Celtics. Um, still to this day, I did a, a podcast the other day and still to this day, I argue that the, the, the poo, is, poo Allen was the originator of the move, but on a bigger scale, people call it the Sham God. So, um, you know, some of those guys, and I and I just, you know, even from some of the, the we'll call them the, the Temple guys for you guys, the Eddie Joneses, the Aaron McKees, you know, the ones that kind of, like, you know, I was a big fan of John Chaney. John Chaney actually lived in the neighborhood next to mine, so it was kind of cool to, like, be able to drive by his house and be like, man, that's a legend. Like, you know, John is a John is a, a super legend. Um, so those are kind of the guys that I that I looked up to at a young age.
1: Yeah, and I think something even going back a little bit further. Uh, maybe if you want to explain a little bit more about the the uh, mixtape tour and kind of what that was. Um, I know for myself, I'm not like you know well versed on that. I wasn't really big on the basketball scene when I was growing up. Um, so I'm kind of backtracking and kind of learning more about those, those legends. Um, so maybe if you want to explain, I feel like maybe for our younger audiences now, it's like, you know, Nike's the big brand, um, and one really did have a big footprint, but not, you know, it's kind of more of Nike now. I feel like maybe yeah, no, no, a comeback.
2: it's, it's, it's always been Nike for sure, for sure. So, so, right. and one at the time was like the little brother that was making a lot of noise and, You know, there was a guy named Ron DeClario in New York that had a mixtape of a a gentleman named Ray first skipped to my Lou Austin. And it was a a crazy tape of him playing at Rucker Park at a a really young age and a couple other New York playgrounds. And it was just electrifying to see somebody to play under the whistle with that type of flair. So and one ended up, you know, collaborating with the DJ and putting like a mix together that was basketball and, and hip hop which, you know, everything really set forth a, a revolution of the creative side of basketball mixed in with the, with the world of music and, and fashion. And, like, they gave that out as a free promo. Um, I don't know how many, how many tapes they – I mean, that was an old-school VHS tape, and, you know, I would imagine they gave a couple hundred thousand of those tapes out, and that was, like, an original grassroots marketing plan, um, which ended up doing so well that, like, it became and one mixtape volume one. I think they ended up making like, uh, 10 volumes of them. And then, you know, by the time you got to volume two and volume three, it was like, if you go into a foot action store and tried up and bought a pair of van ones, then you would get like a tape. And then it was like, if you go in there and try something on, you would get a tape. Um, so it became like a really, really cool marketing idea that you know, I still look back at some of those things and, and see how I can learn with some of the brands that I work with of like, how do you, you know, just build those different skill sets of engaging people, making them interact with your brand and then making them buy something. Um, so it's, it's a, it's always kind of a life lessons of like what I've looked at from the last 25 years of just my own basketball you know, background and see, like, how did I move into certain, like, how did I move towards certain brands, certain players? Like, what, why did I want to wear the, that pair of shorts? Why did I want to wear that pair of shoes? Um, And just use that in my own, like, in my own business ventures. But, you know, and one was, was that brand that really took ownership of summer basketball and, and gave, you know, Nike a run for their money, because they created these superstars. And then after, like, the third volume, they had a t- television show on uh, ESPN called, I think it was called I think it was called streetball. I forget the whole name. It might have just been called streetball, but it was basically a group of guys that were not in the NBA that were deemed the best players, you know, not in the NBA and they toured the world and, you know, basically played a freestyle pickup game but in these ultimate, you know, exciting plays that make the NBA really really fun because everybody likes the crossovers, everybody likes the slam dunks and and one was that on like hyperspeed. Instead of getting 5 of those in an NBA game, you're getting like 20 of those. So it was cool. They, they had a chance to tour the world and, you know, made like their own path in basketball, which is really difficult to do.
0: Yeah. And that sounds a lot like uh, other stuff that you do, uh, you know, with your brands and things, projects that you've worked on uh, that I've kind of learned more about as I've gotten to know you and your field of work. And we'll touch on that more a little later. But do you think, like you said, I mean, and one, the the mixtape was super exclusive. I. Uh, you know, I think it was the other week. Uh, you and your friend Sharif, uh, shameless plug at Impact Player Academy on Instagram. <laughs> um, you know, you guys were talking about when you got the first volume of mm-hmm. the Anwar mixtape, and you guys were like crowded up in an attic watching it uh, for the first time. Like it was an exclusive thing, and you still have one or whatever. Yep. Do you think? Do you think that mix was, I guess, the gateway to what basketball media and hip hop like
2: how they all converge right now yeah yeah no I, I definitely think so i think that was the first it was the first group of people that put all that together like showed the non-corporate non you know nba side of what basketball was what it meant to communities how the correlation between you know just music fashion and basketball a different a different um a different view of expression of like what people could do on a court because it was it's not about what the coach is telling you to do it's about like that ball's in your hand what type of creative moves can you think of like how do you do something that nobody's ever done before how do you mix that with music that you know people haven't really heard before but like that was the next wave of music um and then you look in the crowds and like that was a different fashion statements and you know even with those players like wearing the baggy clothes um, you know being it just having like a bunch of self-expression across the board from like the fans the players the music um, and just just merging it all together like I think that was that's what really set you know the tone for basketball for probably the last I think that I think they're going on their 25th anniversary I think it's like 25 years maybe maybe, maybe 26 27 um, but that was like you know, what I think you see today. I mean, that's what Steph Curry's doing, what Kyrie Irving is doing. Like a lot of those guys, um, like this is that generation of those guys being young kids and seeing that and perfecting it and being able to give you those, you know, moves that just, you know, you would have never thought about that 15 years ago. Getting back
0: to Mike Morak, the people person, uh, you went from the Hooper and the, the basketball fan and you created, you know, your own little, spot in the community and in the industry, but a lot of the work you do now uh, involves working with brands, you know, forming partnerships, collaborating on projects of, you know, varying scopes. How, how have you learned to cultivate your relationships both formal and informally uh, around the game of basketball and in more of a business sense?
2: I think it always, it always circles for me about around being genuine and being, you know, able to identify people who are good people, and then help fill the voids um, of the relationship. So, you know, I almost pride myself on being a you know somebody that if you're at a brand or whatever the company may be, you have a great idea, but you need a starting point. Like, how do you find that? How do you find that starting point? And. You know, I've been lucky enough to work with a lot of really great people, and I, and I understand what a lot of people do, strengths and weaknesses, and how to get things done on, on a multitude of levels in a bunch of different cities and countries. So when somebody has an idea, you know, they, can, they can feel trusted that like if they give me a call, we can execute on something you know, at a multitude of levels because you know, I've got trusted relationships, and I know who can accomplish what depending on like what your, you know, your brand need is or your company need. Um, so I think it always comes down to having genuine relationships and caring about people because, you know, at the end of the day, whenever you're doing anything, like you want everybody to feel super comfortable that it can, that you can get done. But then you also like care about, you know, you care about everything on, on like both on both sides. So if I, you know, and working with a brand, like I want to make sure that you care about their needs. And then you also care about the, the backside of like who's physically executing. So it's like almost being a, a middle person um, that can execute, but also make sure that everybody's getting like what they, you know, what they feel like they either deserve or, you know, going above and beyond for like what a brand's expecting.
0: And as the middleman, it's probably important for you to connect, you know, one party with the other and they should align. How important is it, um, to when you're, you know, when you're trying to connect brands with events or brands with other, other brands, how important is it that their missions and their, Goals align.
2: Um, I mean, super, super important. Like, if it if it doesn't, for me, it doesn't even make sense to start. So it's like if if all that stuff doesn't really align, then you're you're not looking at a, a healthy partnership. You're not looking at something that's going to achieve, you know, really the goals of both sides. So, um, and that's just one one side of it, if you're playing like the middleman. But you know, everything everything in this day and age I think is all about having like the right partnerships, the right timing, um, the right views from like all sides. Like if I'm a, you know, somebody on the local level and I want to achieve something, you want to find the right brands that kind of fit your need. And if you're the brand, like you want to find the right community groups or, you know, people that kind of fit what you're looking for. So it just, it just doesn't, it just will never work out if all that stuff is never aligned. It's just not the way that kind of the, the landscape looks today.
1: Yeah, I mean I I wanna I wanna touch on something that happened uh this past year with the All Star Game. Um phase, Slam kind of had a collaboration. Uh you were kind of Myrm was filming in that you were kind of involved with that as well. Um can you just take us through what that is? I mean, that's kind of, you know, um, you know, a gaming group, a basketball oriented brand coming together. Um and obviously those people sh- like share some similar interests, but it, you know, it's kind of something that was a little bit groundbreaking and now we're seeing a lot of players, you know, be more open about playing video games um, and it's not like seen as a nerdy thing anymore. Um, can you just talk about like the brands and how they, they meshed together and, and your process with that?
2: Yeah, no, 100%. So like actually with, you know, with our play app, you know, we were able to participate with Phase Clan and Slam um, in a Slam, Phase All-Star game, like, you know, collab pop-up shot with Champion. Um whereas you've basically, you know, Slam did a great job of of starting a gaming portion of their of their brand because they also they recognize that a lot of the athletes like that's what you do in your downtime. Um like if you're a professional athlete, high school athlete, there's a lot of you know, even high school kids are traveling so much. I mean, there's just a lot of there's a lot of like at home, in your room, hotel room, downtime. So like a lot of those guys, you know, play video games as a way to kind of decompress, but also as another way to communicate with people whether they're their friends or teammates or guys across the country, like they can jump on and play Fortnite. They can play call of duty. You know, you can play 2k, you can play Madden, you know, you play FIFA. Um, So it just gives, it just gives athletes a different, you know, chance to engage. And then also, you know, a lot of guys are really competitive. So I think slam was able to, you know, dive into that space and say like, like we want to be able to carve out, you know, like, cause they're a basketball brand, but they want to carve out a space that, you know, they can tell the athlete's story from, you know, the basketball gaming side. Phase Clan has done a really great job becoming like that big gaming brand, but a lot of their biggest influencers, you know, also interact and engage with these NBA players. So it's a really natural, it's a natural um, grouping because like you've got Phase Clan, they've got natural partnerships with guys like Ben Simmons. Um, I think there's a couple other, there's a big entertainment side of what Phase Clan has been able to do. And there's a couple other NBA and celebrities that participate in like a lot of the Phase events. And they're kind of at the cutting edge of what the, what a gaming team looks like phase is not, you know, your traditional, like let's get five guys and go up there and compete in a gaming tournament. It's like, that's, they're a great representation of what culture looks like. Slam is a great representation of like what basketball culture looks like from top to bottom. Um, so like, it's a natural, you know, partnership of like, let's do. So I think from those guys, it's like, Hey, let's, let's do a phase clan, you know, basketball line and who's the best person to, you know, who's the, really the best group of people to do that with. And then that's where slam is like, Hey, like we're a great media partner, but they're bigger, they're bigger than a media partner. They're an actual like brand that's respected in the culture. Um, And then what we try to do from play and you know, what the play app kind of really does. And the play platform does is it allows that enhanced like experience on the gaming side of like, Hey, you guys are already going to play. We want to let you make that a little bit more competitive um, and give you that, like that extra feeling of like, this really means something so it's kind of like how they all merge together
0: yeah and I think it's it's no different than you know athletes getting into music or athletes getting into movies I think um, it's you know more than just an athlete being able to see their life away from sports is almost as cool as getting to see their life in sports Um, and those collaborations now coming to light is uh, really taking advantage of the opportunities taking advantage of the things that happen usually unseen, but now, you know, brands like Slam and FaZe and, you know, all these other collaborations are happening,
2: bringing that stuff to light. Uh, but it's, you touch- also, it's, it's also really natural, and that's, yeah. like, the key is, is the – like, if, if, if Slam didn't have a gaming piece to it, players would still game. Like, you're not necessarily – you're being a complementary piece to – you know what guys are already doing and you're helping provide you know you're just shining more light on that and giving them different opportunities to show you know that skill set like slam has also done a really great job over the last couple months of doing these you know six on six call of duty tournaments that are merging players from all different levels whether you're you know you know brawny um De'Aaron fox jason hart um like all these guys and ben simmons and you know, some of the guys on the slam team of like a real natural integration of guys that are playing, that are gaming at a high level, but are basketball related. But that's another, you know, that's another point of just like, hey, like this is like our culture. And I think that kind of makes it, you know, really exciting to, to get behind because it's just natural. It's not, it's something that guys would be doing if the cameras are off. And I think that's when you start to see, you know, more success because people want to naturally get behind it.
1: And I think I don't want to, I don't want to backtrack too much, but I think what you were talking about the, the mixtape tour, I think it all kind of comes full circle. I mean, I think within sports, um, obviously every sports has a a big footprint in the world of culture, but I think basketball is kind of in my eyes unmatched people like obviously Michael Jordan, Alan Iverson um, kind of paved the way. And, you know, I, I saw something online that, you know, I don't want to say the actual statistic because I can't really remember, but it was like something that, you know, all basketball players want to be rappers and all rappers want to be basketball players. It's that, it's that kind of like meshing, not all, but a lot of them do. And they kind of, you know, we see Dame Lillard, you know, rapping Um, that's just their personality. And they're not like, Brian said, they're not, you know, defined by just being an athlete. And, you know, they're more than just that.
2: Yeah. I mean, it just goes to like different, I mean, everybody likes different things and there's guys that are multi-talented or, you know, you know, they, they can do multiple things, but that's always like the facets of, of how it all comes together. You know, you know, music, basketball, you know, fashion are, are things that most people that participate in all those, you know, they have, a, they have something inside of that, that, that kind of brings all those worlds together. Like if you go to, you know, anybody in Kanye's camp, the Virgil, uh, Don C, um, Jerry Garcia, like all those, like all those guys, or not Jerry Garcia, Jerry Lorenzo, like all those guys have their own apparel lines that always merge into with athletes. And then there's also uh, a lot of musicians that kind of fit into that world. And they all kind of they all kind of blend in that sense because like that's the like that's the common denominator that brings them together so I think there's a lot of there's a lot of fun and exciting things and and there's a lot of guys that you know whenever you're doing anything if you blend what you naturally like you just have more chance of success so it's there's different there's certainly different pockets of guys that enjoy different things and that's kind of the beauty of you know what basketball and gaming is there's there's certainly a bunch of players that you know, maybe they don't want to be gamers, but they, you know, they really enjoy fashion or some guys really enjoy music and, you know, but everybody has a respect for everybody's what everybody's craft and how everybody spends their time, which, which I think is like the beauty of just how, you know, basketball brings you together, but there's all these different facets of, of pocket facets and pockets of what people really enjoy.
0: Yeah, for sure. I love how, you know, we can all just keep, we could talk about this for hours because it's just so fascinating. Um, how all these things are now starting to interweave. And especially now that Ben and I are working, you know, getting further into the industry and kind of seeping, seeping up more knowledge. It's, in, it's really cool to just keep talking about how everything plays together. But speaking of play, you were talking about play earlier. Um, you know, for the people that don't know, what what is play? I know you're, you're involved with it.
2: Yeah, no, Play is a, is a platform that is, a, is currently an app on, on the Apple iOS system. It's an AI-driven technology that, you know, basically is the first of its kind that allows you to play Fortnite, Call of Duty, NBA 2K, Madden, FIFA, um, and wager on head-to-head gaming. So if me and you are playing Madden, we can put up 5 bucks, 10 bucks, $25, $100. Um, the, you know, our AI technology will watch the game, auto-determine who won or lost. Um, and then deposit that money right in your account and can immediately be put in your bank account. So it's one of its first of its kind. It's something that people have, have been doing for, you know, as long as there's been gaming, but this is like a safe environment community, um, where you can play and you don't have to worry about like all those different elements, um, you know, around if somebody doesn't pay you or, you know, somebody pulls the plug on you and, you know, how do you, you know, create a really cool brand around the, the, the positioning of wagering on, you know, esports um, in a way that's like super automated. So we're just, you know, just launched about a week and a half ago, you know, has some really, really great traction. We've got some really cool partnerships we're working on. We've got some cool partnerships that are already going on. Um, so we're just kind of fun because I think we're, we're, we're the first of, the, of its kind that can really shake up an industry, which whenever you're working on the business side is like, that's the position you want to be in. You want to be you want to have a great idea and you want to be in an industry that's ready to be that's ready to be disrupted disrupted um and i think we're right at that cusp of you know doing something that people haven't seen before in a super clean um platform that you know is is allowing us to create that um that name that's surrounded like like uber is you know with with ride sharing it's like you know, if you want to wager with your friends, like, I want you to go like, yo, do you want to play? And people understand what that means that you're going to go to a head to head wager. And I think like, as we're building that out is like the fun part about business. um, The fun part about just building a brand, the fun part about, you know, creating experiences um, and being able to do it from like, you know, your phone in a console, you know, is something that we're just, you know, super excited to bring to the market.
0: Yeah, it's dope. I just got on. Um, Mike, hit me up with that link. So if anyone wants to play me, hit me up. Slide in my DMs. Uh, I'll probably lose, honestly, uh, but we can do it. Uh, support the brand. Support the platform. That's some quick
2: money right there. We can take from Brian.
0: Stop it. You, you only play <laughs> PC, Ben. Come on. I'm playing. Any, I'm
2: playing any. I'm playing anybody at any time as well. So anybody, just hit hit the hit the link and, and we'll figure it out.
0: Tell me when and where I get every MLB player saying on Twitter. (laughs) Um, So, Mike, you know, growing up, you talked about how you were a big summer basketball guy. And now um, a lot of your notoriety in the world of basketball and, you know, just the sport industry, I like to think is because of your involvement and your direction of Danny Rumpf classic. So coming up on 15 years, uh, I've been, fortunate to work with you in the past few months uh, on some archiving stuff with the Rumpf and just really, you know, dig into the history, trying to prepare for this 15th year, fingers crossed. But uh, for the people that aren't familiar, take us through, you know, how the tournament got started, how you got involved, and then uh, I guess we can go from there.
2: So uh, Danny Rumpf was the starting point guard at Western Kentucky University, um, a friend of mine since we were kids, we would play at the rec center all the time. And, you know, I, I had, I was very lucky to have a front seat at his development into becoming a, a, a high level division one basketball player. One of my favorite players to watch as a kid, you know, we spent, you know, countless, you know, hours and days and months in a, in a gym, um, with a core group of friends of ours that just loved to play the game. And, you know, in 2005, when I was just starting my internship or, or midway through my internship with Ann one. Um, Danny was home. um, Danny was home after a season. It was I believe it was it was on Mother's Day in 2005. And he was playing in a Philadelphia rec center and he collapsed of a undiagnosed heart disease called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Um, I'll never forget the phone call that I received that said like Danny had passed away. Um, I'll never forget, you know, actually, who is my, i never forget going to my current wife's dorm room and seeing on the bot, the ESPN bottom ticker that he had passed away. Um, some of that stuff is just super ingrained in my mind. And, you know, what happened was there was no defibrillator in the rec center. There was no ambulance in sight. It took about 45 minutes for the ambulance to get there. So he, he just didn't have a chance to um, to survive. There was nobody in the gym that was trained in CPR. Um, so basically, you know, young kid, I think he was, he was 21 or 22 at the time, you know, no business having an undiagnosed heart condition, being a division one athlete. Um, he was in some of the best shape I've ever seen. And, you know, it's something that, you know, at the time, you know, his, his mom and his uncle had, we starting a foundation of saying like, this just can't happen again. Like we need to create a program to save the next bright star. And like, they wanted a representation of his friend group to sit on the board and, you know, me being a a little bit older than some of our other friends and already kind of in the working world, they had asked me to sit on the board and, you know, I, I was, you know, blessed enough to be in a position to do it and to think that I can make a difference. So, uh, in 2006, a year after he passed, one of the things with me working at and one still having the access to apparel, you know, having the access to some different, you know, um, different like fundraising options. I wanted to, to to build something that would keep his memory alive and also just keep our friends together. You know, so I created an event and I said, you know, I, like I can do a basketball tournament. Like this is what I do every day. Like I, I can certainly build this. Um, so I just started a basketball tournament. You know, I said like, let's, let's get everybody together. And I wanted to make it where it was like a Philadelphia barbecue and, you know, I wanted to get different generations of basketball players together. So, like, we started off with, you know, Michael Jordan from the University of Penn, um, a gentleman named Antoine Brockington, who had played at Coppin State. And I believe Antoine gave Stanford 40 in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, I just wanted to get different groups of guys together to remember them. And, you know, luckily, Danny was a great basketball player in his own right. He had a lot of great friends that were, that were hoopers. Everybody wanted to play. You know, so our first year, you know, Hakeem Warwick, Warwick, who had won the national championship with Syracuse, um, that believe, I believe Skinny was a first-round pick. So, like, he played, you know, the first year, which gave us, like, all the credibility in the world of, like, hey, like, we've got NBA players playing. And, you know, Danny being the natural player at a high level that he was, like, all of, all of our friends were Division One, Division Two players. So, like, we, we just had a ton of talent. Um, and basically, what I, I I didn't want it to be a charity event. I wanted it to be a competitive tournament that that he could play in. Like I wanted to make sure it was something that 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 he would be, if he was still alive, it was something that he would want to play in. And you know, that's how I kind of like build it. So every year we would get a little bit better, or a little bit we get some better players and better players, and you know, we were able to to stay in the the rec center that Danny passed away in for I think the first five or six years. um, and then just kind of grow it like, you know, we we always wanted to treat everybody that walked in the gym with, you know, the utmost respect, the up, utmost appreciation for just walking in. And there was there was certainly been a ton of times that I know Danny's been looking down on us and, you know, helping us get through these years and, you know, making sure that, you know, different players knew about us and, you know, wanted to participate. And, you know, so so that was one of the things that I wanted to start was like, let me build a basketball tournament. And, you know, it's kind of grown over the years too, which, which I believe to be one of the top three summer basketball events in the country. Um, But it's always kind of been like, how do we do this for him? How do we do this for the city? Like how do we make sure that everybody is, is proud of what we're accomplishing and we're doing it in the right vein of, you know, saving the next bright star, keeping his memory alive, but also giving the city something to be proud of.
0: Yeah. Um, I love that. And like you said, uh, over the next coming, you know, over the coming weeks, everyone should go follow Rumpf Classic on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, whatever, anything you can find it on, because uh, there's a lot of stuff that I've seen with my own two eyes that a lot of people haven't seen uh, some old, old archive footage. That's uh, really, you know, it's incredible to see NBA players, division one players and, like just these guys playing in a packed rec center in, you know, a Philadelphia neighborhood. Um, And I, would I'd have to agree with you. It's definitely top three summer tournament, summer event in the country, just because of, you know, the notoriety it already has and who who you've gotten and the atmosphere
2: you've created. The fun part about the event is always like, you know, if you look on YouTube, you know, we've, you know, James Harden has come on and played John Wall, Jason Tatum. Um, you know, Lou Williams, the Morris Twins, Dion Waiters, you know, Wayne Ellington. You know, we've been very fortunate to be a hub for great basketball players around the country to come in and experience Philadelphia basketball, because I think Philadelphia basketball is right up there with any other place in the world. And to be able to come in, experience the fans, be able to play in front of a tough crowd, you know, is something that, you know, I've had a chance to see these guys around the country and for them to be like, man, I had a lot of fun there. And that's a representation of, like, Philly as a whole um, because it's it's not an easy place to play. And I think that's the fun part about, again, going back to, like, outside of the NBA in a super, you know, professional, you know, style event with a head coach. It's like certain players are built for those type of environments. And, you know, guys like Will Barton of the Denver Nuggets who came out and played, had a great time you know, to hear those guys go back to their cities and go back to their NBA teams and say like, man, like I had a lot of fun there and be those advocates for other people to come by is really, really special. And then you throw that on top of, you know, being able to keep Danny's name alive. And, you know, in those conversations is is something that we take a lot of pride in. I
1: think just going off of that, I want to just make a comment. Like I said earlier, wasn't a huge basketball fan when I was growing up. So, you know, kind of, these past few years going through temple and just going to, you know, high school basketball games and the Catholic league, the Philadelphia Catholic league, and just seeing, you know, even LaSalle, you know, the, you know, places like St. Joe's weren't like they were when Jameer Nelson was there and Delante West. But I mean, just, you can feel the history in Philadelphia. And I think, like you said, to have a tournament or a charity event or a game that's in Philadelphia, um, you know, in the heart of the city with so much history, whether it's at the high school, college, or the pro level, you know, it's, it's pretty special.
2: Yeah, no, 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 for sure. And I think it's a, it's a really fun time now. Um, like, this is our 15th year, and for the amount of college coaches that have been around, all the different players that we've seen, you know, some of the guys that used to be our scorekeepers are now, you know, adults, you know, being able to see all of our kids that participated last year be some of the top high school kids in the, in the area. Um, But also seeing all the new coaches, like a lot of, you know, Ashley Howard um, at LaSalle University is a great friend to the program and our foundation. And, you know, to see the great things that he's going to take, you know, do at LaSalle as the head coach. Um, One of our one of my best friends and board members of the Rump Foundation and, you know, a big part of the Rump Classic, uh, Justin Scott, who's an assistant coach at St. Joe's um, and Billy Lang, who's the new head coach over there you know, there's a lot of really great energy of like the new, new group of people in Philly across the board. And, you know, even Aaron McKee at temple, like there's a lot of, a lot of cool stuff that are that's going on in the city that, you know, we look at this as how do we carry like from our side, like how do we carry the torch for another 15 years, but bring it back to the next generation? Because, you know, we've had, we've had guys that have played in, you know, all 14 of our, all 14 um, years of our events. And, you know, now it's like, how do we find that next group of guys? You know, the young guys that are just graduating all the local, you know, big five and city six schools. And, you know, I think that's like the fun part of, you know, how do you keep a brand alive? And that's kind of the, you know, that's what we're looking for. I told, I told Brian that, you know, once you sign up with the, the Rump Classic and Rump Foundation, we're not like a, a one year type of vibe. I mean, you gotta, you gotta sign up for multiple years over here.
0: Yeah. And I think before I get into my next quick point about Philly basketball, I think the cool thing that you've done with the rump and the atmosphere you've create created is it's, it's a very family oriented, uh, atmosphere. And it's also, you try your best to keep your friends involved. You try your best to keep, uh, you know, the people from the neighborhood involved. And most importantly, you try to keep it all Philly. You try to keep everyone, you know, get everyone involved that's in no need to outsource stuff. Like, get it done with the people that you're close with and make it a, you know, all
2: hands on deck kind of, kind of deal. Exactly. Cause I mean, we're, there's a lot of talented people in the city and, and like our, our goal is always to make the best event possible for, you know, for the least amount of money. Cause I mean, I like, we are trying to do heart screens for kids. We're trying to do AD and CPR trainings. Like we're trying to use any any dollars that we raise for the good of the, the community and our mission of saving the next bright star. You know, and it's also giving, you know, young people the platform to use this event to, you know, build their own portfolios. You know, we've got a bunch of great people that are, you know, that are professionals that it's like, hey, like use this as an opportunity just to give back and, you know, let's go, you know, fight against the bigger events in the country and say, like, you know, we can do this just as a collective. Um, And as a group without, you know, trying to hire big agencies and, you know, trying to find, you know, the most, you know, the guys that have worked with these big brands. It's like, you know, let's all build on our experiences and use this as a, you know, a platform that we can, you know, all help each other to do something cool. And, you know, just, just trying to figure out unique ways to do things that give players and our, you know, spectators a fun experience
0: you know, you mentioned Philly, the Philly atmosphere and talking to guys around the league, you know, how much fun they had at the Rump, or even stuff they've heard. Over the past three months, there's been a lot of, you know, smack talk on IG live. And it's been a lot of people talking about various events, you know, talking about when they're going to be able to get on the court next. And I think the cool thing is being able to hear some big names talk about the Rump and uh, the notoriety it's getting. But You know, you've been all over the world and you've heard about summer events all over the world and you've seen basketball culture all over the world across your various, uh, you know, jobs and your opportunities and what have you. What, What have you found by seeing everywhere else? What have you found is like the one thing that Philly does better or
2: differently than anyone else? I mean, I think obviously our guards, I mean, I think our, on the court, our guards are just some of the best, you know, that would go head to head with anybody, you know, in the world. And I think we're also just trendsetters. I think from, you know, music to, you know, on court swag to everything that surrounds the game. I think a lot of that, you know, there's a lot of different, I guess there's different parts of the country that can also, lay claim to that, but I think that we are, you know, some people that are always at the forefront of of what the culture looks like, what the the talented basketball players are look like. And we're always, you know, guys that are ready to jump on the court and play. And I think that's what, you know, not only separates us, but just leads the way of, you know, how can you be a great basketball player, which leads to being super entertaining, which also leads to being a natural born leader um, that you can really just, you know, separate yourselves from different cities. And I think it doesn't matter, like, if you put a Philly guard anywhere anywhere around the world, most most times you'll be able to walk in the gym and be like, yeah, that looks like a Philly guy. But that's a Philly basketball player right there. And I've talked to multiple, even coaches, and they're like, man, we just, we just want a, a Philly guard. Like, we want somebody with a Philly personality because we're just, you know, a lot of us are just really big leaders. You know, we're not afraid to step out, you know, step out of our own boxes. And I think that's what kind of like separates us where a lot of other places are, you know, trying to catch up and they use what we're doing is like what, what they're replicating. And we're the ones that are always trying to set the trends. Yeah. I love that. And the words of Dion waiters were different,
0: you know, I mean, just, it's just, yeah, how it no, is.
2: no and, and Dion is, Dion is a, Dion is a prime example of, you know, somebody that has the, the most confidence, the most proud and pride in his city, the most pride in his neighborhood you know, not afraid to, you know, step out on his own and stand on what he says. Um, and I think, you know, Deanna is is a, is a great example of like, what a Philadelphia basketball player is and represents. And, you know, you can look at his highlights at the highest level and say, like, you have to be different to to do that type of stuff. And, and I think a lot of people, you know, around the world look at that and be like, man, that's what I want to be like, that's what I want to emulate. And that's like, the natural ooze of like Philly basketball players as a whole, like everybody's walking around with that same type of energy. Um, So it was kind of cool to see over the quarantine of him being able to kind of, you know, I'm not gonna say step out of his shell, but for other people to kind of like really see his personality and, you know, really love what he's doing and what he inspired. Cause there was a lot of cool things that, you know, other people took his energy and, and took that into different areas, whether it was party promoting, you know, skating, um you know videographers like it was a lot of fun things that kind of like spun off of his energy in, in his quarantine quarantine videos so
0: yeah and i think those videos provided a lot of entertainment for me and countless other people around the world that just got a good laugh out of you know whether it was Dion or it was chuck ellis or it was you know any of those guys it's it's comedy
2: no, it was good. It was good fun and, and, and people needed to see it to get their minds off of, like, Absolutely. you know, the quarantine and being stuck in the house. And, you know, it, it it was funny to see that stuff also trickle into different cities and, you know, see the energy that we provide and then make, every you know, everybody kind of took that and ran with it in their own way. Absolutely. So
0: that is the end of our main conversation. Uh, talked a lot about Philly basketball, your basketball journey, and, you know, how you work with brands. Because that was something I really – I was talking to Ben about before we came on here was you know we haven't really had anyone from you know a marketing standpoint or a brand partnership standpoint so um I learned a lot a lot more than I already knew so that was great but we have a couple rapid fire questions for you uh, and then we'll get you on your merry way and I will begin editing this podcast shortly after to be posted in 13 hours all right so first one what One event that you were at that had the absolute best basketball atmosphere you've ever experienced.
2: I did a game outside of my Danny Rumpf classic because I'm always going to pick my own events over that. You can do too. All right. Well, I mean, every Danny Rumpf classic is an amazing event for me, but you know, I mean, I think, Outside of, like, the rump stuff, I would say we did – I did an event at, in New York. It was an all-star team versus uh, a group of players for a basketball tour called Ball For Real. Um, a gentleman named – a well, the rapper Fat Joe was coaching the one team. And we, you know, went up there fresh off, of like, an entertainment basketball tour. There was probably five or 6,000 people on the court. AO came out, and we were down two with – um, I think it was like eight seconds left. He told the he told us during the timeout that he was going to shoot a three, end it, and get us out of there. And he went down in one of the craziest plays that I've ever seen that that is on YouTube, um, and you guys should check out. It's, I think just hit AO hits game winner, um, and it was the craziest bucket in front of an insane crowd that I've that I've ever been a part of. Um, to see that many people hanging on a fence you know, surrounding the streets, and then to upset a, a homegrown New York all-star team was was super exciting. Uh, so that was probably one of the the funnest environments, um, probably because I wasn't fully in charge, so I didn't have to worry about, like, all the things that go around a basketball event. But um, that was probably one of the most exciting games that, I, that I've been at as, like, just a, you know, a participant and fan. And then
0: as tournament director for the Danny Rump Classic, what's one of your – um I know there's been a lot every year is unique and special, but what is like one of your memories of one of those games that really sticks out to you?
2: I mean, I would say probably one of the biggest is like knowing or seeing when James Harden walked into the, you know, LaSalle university and put on a Danny Rumpf Jersey. I thought that was really a special moment. And then getting a phone call that, you know, Alan Iverson was about to pull up and wanted to come watch it. And then Joel and Bede had wanted, had walked in to watch that game. And, you know, I think when you see guys of that magnitude, you know, see what you're doing, want to experience the basketball culture, but also like, wow, like, you know, we were able to put ourselves in a different category, you know, in those conversations. And I think that's the, you know, the fun and exciting, you know, stuff about doing basketball. It's like, you know, just focus on everything, you know, around it and let the basketball take care of itself definitely
1: uh next question is best cheesesteak in the city we've we've had some hot takes on here so there is a right answer in in the mind of the podcast
2: Del Sandro's oh boy hands down <laughs> Mike, mike mike
1: stop it all right so that's the fir- that is the first delsandros so that we've gotten is uh, it yeah, I, I gotta talk. So.
2: I gotta. I got I figure out who you guys are talking to, man. I don't know. What, I don't know what. Right, John Rose Pork right, has been so, popular.
1: John Rose Pork has been very popular. Yeah, and second to that has been Steve's.
2: Steve's. Not a um, not a Steve's guy.
1: Now, do you have a uh, a a reason to back up your claim?
2: I mean, I think the only reason I can give you is I just prefer DeLisandro's the way they, you know, just prefer their style.
1: All right, fair enough. I had it one time. I think I caught him on an off day. It was very dry, so I need to go back.
2: We will We will have a, uh, a cheesesteak eating contest at my house. I'm happy to provide the DeLisandro steaks.
1: All right, you have to say less. I'm, I'm in, totally.
0: Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, next one. Mike, I warned you of this one earlier, so I hope you spent the last couple hours thinking about it. Starting five, team of Philly Hoopers that have played in the rump. But have not played in the NBA.
2: I have spent zero time thinking about this, but, but I, did I, I, I did. I You did. You said, yeah, yeah. You right. know, You definitely. You definitely did. All right. Um. Mike Green, Mark Tyndale, Temple legend. Mark Tyndale. Temple currently legend Mark an Tyndale. assist. Currently an assistant coach with the Toronto Raptors. Um. Let me see. Mike Wayne Marshall. Actually, Wayne's another Temple. A Temple kid. Six ten. One of the best players. The probably never make it out of philly brandon austin who is a absolute monster um that's four who would my fifth be you definitely need a big man well i mean wayne marshall's sixth okay Um, let me see here mike's my point guard brand is my two guard mark is a little bit of a swiss army knife I need a four. Kelvin Green is a, is a guy that a lot of people won't know. You know, probably one of the, the best players to, to play out of Philly, went to Coppin State. Um, amazing player. I had a chance to watch him do pre-draft, and he was killing Michael Beasley, who was the first pick in the draft that year, and DeAndre Jordan. So, uh, Kelvin Green would probably, that would probably round up my five.
0: And then follow – NBA Philly guys, starting five, that have played in the rump. Because if you're not playing in the rump, I, I don't think you can like we can count them in here. I don't think yeah, I'm yeah, no,
2: not sure. Flip Murray, Marcus, and Markeith Morris. Um, and these are just Philly guys, right, that play, not the guys that come into the city? Well,
0: yeah, I mean, you would obviously right, say just, James Harden, but he played one game, so.
2: Yeah, just Philly guys, all right, let me yeah. see. I'm gonna count Kyle Lowry because Kyle came and played in one of our pre-rump runs. That's fair. So he did put a, he put a rump jersey on, so we'll we'll, we'll count him because I think Kyle is is uh one of the greatest players to come out of Philly. And then I'll have to go with uh, I got to go with Wayne Ellington. I think is that my five. Is yeah, you had the five? twins. The twins took up two. Uh, it's debatable if they count as two or one, but. Not
0: the same All right. If you had that, if you got, who's your sixth man?
2: Probably Dion. Okay. Dion, Dion, Dion only played one game, but we'll take, we'll take Dion in there.
0: All right.
2: Oh, no, 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 no. Complete debauchery on my side. Hakeem Warwick is in the list of five. We got to move somebody out. So we'll do Hakeem Warwick, Wayne Ellington, the twins, and Flip Murray. I think that's got to be it. I think we'll to put, that, we got to put, put, put Kyle and Dion on the back burner because they only played, they didn't play as many games as the other guys. That's fair enough. Fair. Um, trying to be second, an equal opportunity guy.
1: For sure. Second best basketball city. Obviously, we have Philly as first, and we already talked about that.
2: It pains me to say, but it's, it's LA at the moment.
0: Hmm. Fair enough. What, what, what goes into your, what goes into that? What makes LA the second best basketball city, according to Mike
2: Morak? Um, they've got a great pipeline of youth basketball, high school, college, and then NBA guys. So I I believe they have the most NBA guys now, but LA is a really, really big, it's a, it's a, it's a large area that encompasses a lot. So, you know, but it's certainly, uh, one of the hubs right now for basketball. Um, whether that's in the summertime, it's during the high school season or even the NBA level. Um, so there's just a lot of, there's a lot of talent out there. So I think they, they've done a great job of, of homegrown talent. There's a lot of great players that are, you know, LA area, you know, born and raised. And there's a lot of guys that spend time out there. And, You know, I think there's just a, there's a lot of talent out there right now. For
1: sure. Um, and then the final, the final question for the rapid fire segment, uh, what is your, what is your overall footprint you're trying to leave in everything?
2: Um, great question. Um, I think the overall footprint is like whenever I walk away from something, you know, I just want people to have, you know, enjoyed their time with me. They've, they've, they've had a great experience. Um, and that when they look back, it's, it's, it's all positive reflection. So I think like that's the only thing that I can say um, that I really care about is like making sure that, you know, at the end when it's all said and done, people had a good time. You know, within their interaction with me, with participating in my events, and you know that everybody knows I, I did it with the best intentions.
0: That's awesome. And then finally, uh, we we've ended every one of our now nine episodes with this question. Uh, if I mean, I, I guess it kind of goes two ways. But if there was something you could tell yourself um, before you got into the industry that you wish you knew. Um, that maybe would have given you a leg up or, you know, one little nugget of advice that you have learned that you'd like to pass on to another generation of people that want to go into something like you, what would that be? And what would you tell someone that's just trying to find their way in the industry and get their start?
2: I, I don't know if I would change anything with with my own path. Um, I've really enjoyed my path. I think I've made some great decisions on my own professional development. Um, certainly been some different opportunities to, to probably do different things and make more money, but I think I was able to really follow my own passion, follow my own path. Um, and my, my real piece of advice, and especially just in today's climate is, you know, go out there and and get yourself involved in the communities that you want to work in, find different people that you can learn from. You can educate yourself on different, different people's experiences, you know, don't be afraid to you know, go out there and just participate in things that you're interested in. Um, and I think one of it is, is, is just try to be as diverse as possible. Um, try to stay focused on what your passions are and, and, and really just find what you love and work really hard at it. You know, there's, there's, you know, a tons of different ways you can make a lot of money out of here, but you know, when it's all said and done, you want to be able to wake up every day, be able to chase something that you enjoy um, and I think that's the biggest thing that I've always tried to do is, you know, if I had, you know, a bunch of money, you know, what would my day, like, how would my day be different? And I don't, I don't know if my day would be any different because I really enjoy what I do. I enjoy the people that I, you know, I'm around. I'm the people I get a chance to work with. So, you know, I think the biggest thing is, is just go out there and, you know, don't be afraid to do something that you may be uncomfortable with, but, you know, also find like how that fits into your own passion and, you know, do the best that you can at it.
0: That's awesome. Um, Mike, well, thank you again for doing this very late night, uh, edition of staying sharp, probably the latest episode we've ever done, but I really appreciate you coming on and
2: that imparting wisdom on everyone else.
0: Thanks for doing this.
2: I'd like to first apologize to Ben's mom on the, uh, late night pie. (laughs) Uh,
1: That
2: is all right. Well. I appreciate you guys having me. I I know, uh, I know it's late on your guys end, and you know, I think you guys are doing a great job and I think you two are, are definitely taking the steps forward of, you know, just getting out there and doing something, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of, you know, what some people have issues with is how to start something, how to do something and how to get good at it. So I think with what you're doing here is you're always perfecting your craft, you're getting yourselves out there. And that's part of the, you know, how you're going to build those, you know, skill sets for the future. So, you know, congratulations to you guys of, you know, getting something off the ground.
1: Appreciate it.
2: Thank you.